0: We are here advocating for the issues that are important to the green industry. Hey, everybody ought to know by now, you can't do business without politics. We believe that these ordinances violate the Texas Constitution. coming straight out of Austin, and it's something the Texas green industry ought to know about. This is The Green Report, bringing the capital to you. Hey, and welcome back to the TNLA Green Report podcast for Episode 9. As far as public policy goes, water policy is one of the most critical to the health and longevity of the Texas green industry. My guest today is John Farner with the Irrigation Association, and he's someone who's on the front lines of water policy at the federal level. Whether it's agriculture water for growers, landscape irrigation application, or water reliability through infrastructure development, John monitors it all on behalf of our friends at the IA. We're excited to have him here today, and we hope you enjoy. This podcast is brought to you from our friends and TNLA-endorsed service provider with Hotchkiss Insurance Agency. For more than 40 years, we at Hotchkiss Insurance Agency have been protecting clients in a world of unknowns, helping them grow and succeed. We celebrate with our clients when they reach their goals of expanding to a new location, reaching a financial milestone, or serving a record number of customers, because that's what we're here for. Visit Hotchkiss Insurance Agency at H-I-A-L-L-C and speak with one of our expert insurance agents to see what we can do to help your business grow. John, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have. Um, it's been a while since we have been able to see each other. In fact, I think the last time was probably the fly-in that we had, uh, right? That was, uh, all... that
1: was uh, the last time that I stayed in a hotel before the pandemic was in <laughs> Washington D.C. with your smiling face. That's you know, right. right, there with us. Well, and we, we, even then, we weren't
0: sure if we could shake hands, if we could. Uh, yeah, well, was... that
1: was that was the very beginning of the pandemic, and well, I tell you, we were on the hill when vice president pence went to the hill to negotiate one of the the first coronavirus relief packages in early march and who would have thought we're in the situation we're in right now back when i saw you and your um your leadership yeah D.C.
0: yeah well that was a great trip and um i appreciate you bringing up the the covid relief that's one of the first things i want to talk about um i know that probably many of our members and many of the IA's members took advantage of some of the facets of the relief bill, the first round of that, whether it was the PPP or other programs um, that were made available. It's, it's been bounced around. Are we gonna have another relief bill? Uh, it seems like there have been efforts. What's your forecast on that? Do we get another one by the end of the year?
1: You know, unfortunately, the, the negotiations for another relief bill have become extremely politicized. Uh, You know, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter which party you're affiliated with, it's now politicized on both ends. Uh, Where some factions of government and policymakers feel that no more relief should be given, that we need to get back on a normal track for society. And others feel that we need to continue with a path of being very mindful of social distancing, very mindful of reopening our economy, that we need to continue relief. And then that just furthers the question of what does that relief look like? Uh, So unfortunately, it's become very politicized. Both parties are trying to get their own legislation through without working together with one another. You have Republican bills going through the Senate. You have Democratic bills going through the House very little connection between the two and therefore that leads to nothing at all. So I think it's, I think the chances of getting something through Congress are are pretty low before the election. Mm -hmm. And then after the election, who knows, right? I know that uh, there are a lot of folks that still need relief out there with unemployment benefits drying up now. A lot of states' economies are still in the reopening phases. And uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of concern about there what the future is.
0: Well, what are the key differences um, between the Senate uh, goals or the Republican goals, I should say, and the Democrat goals? Um, because there's a significant dollar difference, um, but there are some, some program differences there too. And it seems like, just from my perspective, that the Senate uh, Republican leadership has had a hard time getting their caucus on board with even what they aim to do. So I would imagine compromise with the other party. Uh, is going to be a difficult thing to achieve. But what are the what are the key differences?
1: Yeah. Well, I, well first, let's talk about that getting the caucus on board because I think that's a very important important part because I think that shines a high, that shines a spotlight on a lot of the problems that exist with getting something through. That there are factions of the Republican caucus right now in the Senate that again feel that you know any relief bill we've spent enough money on this. We need to move forward with re- re- reopening our, our economy now. I don't want to go into details of you know what's in each bill and the differences, things like that. But what I, what I will say is rep- the Democrats want a more comprehensive package. Mm-hmm. they want a larger package, a more comprehensive package that deal with anywhere from strengthening the paycheck protection program to dealing with unemployment and everything else in between. Whereas Republicans want a much more smaller package that may just deal with the paycheck protection program, but don't address the unemployment benefits as much as the Democrats would like them to be sure. addressed. So that's that's like the main sticking point right there. Is a more comprehensive versus a smaller. And the Democrats' minds, if a smaller package just goes through, they're not going to get what they want out of that. Right. And the Republicans' minds, we don't want to have that big of a package go through all at once. I and mean, that's a, it's a really big sticking point right now.
0: One of the things it seems like, though, that the business community at least can take solace in is that both sides seem to want to drive more relief dollars um, in one form or fashion to the business community. They have seen the need, they want uh, employers to be able to contain um, the damage to their business and keep their employees. Um, And so hopefully if there's a bill after the election um, that Congress is able to get out the door it will include some of those key facets. It seems like from our members, the PPP was very popular um, in its onset, and I'm sure a lot of that had to do with the for- forgivable nature of it. Um, but uh, you know, what are you seeing from the IA's perspective? What are your What are the members of uh, y'all's group really taking advantage of, and maybe hoping gets reinvigorated?
1: Yeah. Well. Well. First of all let's take this from a, cause we're a national organization, you right. know, so not only do we have members in Texas, we're, we're all over the United States and in the early days of COVID Ryan, it was um, there was a lot of unknowns out there and it's pretty scary for the industry. Cause you think back to the days of late March, early April and confusion existed throughout the United States on whether your business, if you're an irrigation contractor, or if you were a distributor, even a manufacturer in some states on whether you could open up for that day. So not only was it affecting day-to-day operations on the ground with managing irrigation, but it affected the full supply chain with the distribution centers not being able to open and manufacturers not being able to produce what they want in a timely manner. So there was a lot of confusion out there, a lot of uh, concern out there as well. And our, our industry, I think, came out of this pretty good, but there were a lot of concerns out there on the front end. So a lot of our folks shut down operations. In some instances, it was state mandated. In others, it was their own personal decision. You know, We took the mindset of, we're going to leave it if, if up to the company. We're not going to advocate one way or another whether you should open. It's, it, that's, a, that's an individual company's choice but we want to at least have governments give that company the option of staying open or not given social distancing and public health considerations in mind. So with that said, a lot of our companies were affected. And so the paycheck protection program, like other industries was a very popular program throughout our, our industry. Uh, Some companies it was much easier to participate in that than others. It really depended on the state and what bank you were, you were using at the time. Um, We are very glad that Congress opened up funding after the first round because there were a lot of companies that were not able to take advantage of that program. And even to this day, a lot of our member companies stayed open because of that program. Now, there are other disaster relief loans that were out there uh, that some of our agricultural members specifically some dealerships took advantage of as well. Uh, but by far, the Paycheck Protection Program, from what we've seen, was, especially on the contractor level, was mm-hmm. was quite popular.
0: Yeah. Well, the, the agriculture relief um, for, I think, the green industry took a while to roll out, uh, from the, particularly through the USDA. And I know some Texas growers were keenly watching the rollout of that program, hoping that it um, it helped and when it when it first came out it didn't include our products a nursery yeah. products that is and so then it uh, it has in subsequent rollouts included our our uh, commodities but that's been a difficult process and I think that our folks would hope that now that that door is open that Congress continues to ensure that agriculture remains a part of the relief conversation oh it and, has to be you yeah. know
1: we We, uh, we support that 100%. You know, my industry transcends the green industry into full-blown agriculture, fruits, vegetables, row crops, you name it. Um, But it needs to, if we're going to have, so taking it from a few, a food supply alone, if you're going to have a a reliable food supply, seafood supply, agriculture needs to be included. Now, where the green industry comes into play, it has been, it will continue to be an uphill battle with ensuring that nursery crops are included as they should be in these relief packages Um, these are viable organizations that have had a tough time of it and given the unknowns of our economy moving forward they should absolutely and we will continue to advocate that uh the green industry the horticulture continues to be a a part of these disaster relief relief efforts
0: well let's stay on congress um in a normal year we might be having this conversation anyway but the budget uh, is particularly an interesting issue with the, you know, the debt load that the U.S. Is, is holding and the threshold we're getting ready to cross over as it relates to GDP. But where does um, the budget sit right now? And are we likely to get um, a budget this year? I mean, I'm hearing we're potentially going to have, I guess, a continuing resolution th- through the election, and then Congress will take that up after, after the election. But what, you, what are you hearing?
1: It has been quite a while, and I, I've worked for the irrigate. Today's my twelfth year anniversary with the irrigate. Well, Society.
0: congratulations! <laughs> That's yeah, awesome.
1: I, I gave I gave it two years, and here I'm twelve years later. <laughs> uh, since I've joined here, I think we may have had a regular order maybe once, if ever, in my memory of actually going through a budget resolution process that then leads to appropriations bills that then leads to normal appropriations processes, uh, for the agencies. And, you know, given the challenges and the focus and the politicization, the politicization of all issues in Congress, I do not see a scenario where we have a national budget passed and then working through the individual appropriations bills. I see a scenario where we do have a continuing resolution, Um, into possibly even next Congress, let Mm -hmm. alone after the election. Yeah, And I think that that's most likely the case, unfortunately.
0: Well, I know that um, the H2B community in particular worked hard to uh, get some language in on the House side. And um, we were successful to a degree, but that was considered largely a marker for future conversations on the budget and ensuring that um, some form of cap relief Remains available uh, to any future administration. So um, if they pass it to the next Congress, how likely is it that that Congress takes instruction or cues from this Congress?
1: Well, um, I think having any marker down is positive. Having anything that's been introduced in legislative language is a positive thing because you can always reference that Congress is notorious for just regurgitating old pieces of legislation as new pieces of legislation. So once you're in once, it's much easier to get it in again, rather than start from scratch. Okay. Now pivoting into the H2B discussion, uh, it's a tough issue right now, man, because there's all, it's, it's being wrapped up in immigration.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's being wrapped up in our economy. And uh, with a lot of unknowns, of what comes next for the economy? I mean, right now we're sitting in a scenario where there are no H2B workers coming into the United States. That program's on hold. Uh Um, and I, I don't know, we're going to have to see what, what plays out with the presidential election, as well as who, who gets control of the Senate, uh, for next Congress. And that's going to dictate really the future of the HCB program, because right now it's tough to find some, we do have friends in Congress, but it transcends political parties. Sure. Really? Yeah, It's, it's not a partisan issue at all. It is a, it is a bipartisan issue which is a blessing and a, and a curse.
0: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, what's uh, so the IA works heavily in the arena uh, on water as, it, as, it, as a public policy issue. And that is obviously close to the heart of the green industry and our ability to um, continue to do business. So what's the latest on water at a federal level? Because um, I know it remains a, a huge priority for your association.
1: Yeah, there's kind of two things going on right now in water. One is a heavy, there's a heavy focus on water infrastructure in Congress. Uh, There, there, an infrastructure bill never really came to fruition. There's a lot of talk about, oh, we're going to have an infrastructure bill. It's going to get our economy back on track. We're going to, we're going to do it. And that wasn't, that was really moving from relief onto recovery. Well, I don't think our economy was really ready for recovery. We're still in this nexus of a relief, Mm -hmm. you know, Yeah. uh, mindset right now so the inf the full infrastructure package really never came to came to be there were some bills introduced but no really juice behind them uh, so I would say that right now on in water infrastructure is upgrading our nation's infrastructure and financing those opportunities is a mm-hmm. big deal so for agricultural infrastructure for urban infrastructure for drinking water for agriculture that's a big focus right now throughout Congress so that, that's that's congressional I. Uh, President Trump uh, and his administration has had a keen focus from day one on deregulation. Right. And uh, a lot of that has to do with water Um, within the EPA, a lot of focus on EPA. So on the water side at EPA, a lot of the focus has been on deregulation. So anywhere from Clean Water Act, we saw uh, a new rule came out regarding Clean Water Act that was separate from the Supreme court ruling regarding clean water act. But as new rule came out with clean water act over at the interior department, the uh, fish and wildlife service, as well as the um, uh, the uh, sorry, the uh, um, Endangered species act, the mm-hmm. way that is uh, being implemented has gone through a lot of shifts, a lot of changes. So water, a lot of the focus on water over the past 12 to 18 months has really been on the administration side with with deregulating deregulating what we've seen
0: yeah so I, I know that uh the water conservation advisory council which is a um advisory group that uh operates under the umbrella of the texas water development board uh, it has a meeting coming up where they're going to be looking at um some of the water efficiency standards uh these are primarily application for, for applications inside the household but still uh, the rollback of some of those. And um, it's going to be an interesting conversation.
1: And, and what we are seeing, not the interrupt you, Ryan, but what we're seeing in that realm uh, coming from uh, specifically out of the Department of Energy is that the sprinkler, the showerhead standards mm-hmm. have come under a spotlight right now, given the president's remarks on not being pleased with the water pressure coming out of showers (laughs) that he's taken. I mean, you kind of say it in jest, but it's literally what he said. Yeah,
0: that's right.
1: That as an example for D for reducing those uh, those regulations have been been in place for years. Uh, We are seeing that trickle over to the landscape side of the equation a little bit. Uh, Nationwide, what we're seeing in the different states and how different states are implementing different standards. Um, there, there are some mandates in different states on things like rain sensors or licensing for contractors similar to Texas. Mm-hmm. But what we're now seeing is states take something like the WaterSense label for pressure regulating sprinklers.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay?
1: It's not a standard. That is a voluntary WaterSense label that manufacturers can choose to or not to adhere to to get the WaterSense label on that product. However, in a handful of states, uh, they have mandated that if a pressure regulating sprinkler is sold in that state, it must meet the requirements set forth by the water sense label. Yeah. Now we are seeing more and more of that. So what you're what you're seeing in Texas relating to inside the, the, the plumbing fixtures inside the house, we're seeing that somewhat outside as well. It's not necessarily a reduction of the of requirements because requirements didn't exist 20 years ago for landscape irrigation equipment, right? But what we are seeing is uh, implementing those kinds of things. In, in different states,
0: what's the what's the future of WaterSense? Because it seems like well, when we were in actually in DC on the fly, in one of the talking points for the Hill was funding for it and uh, having Congress take it seriously. So where's that? Where's that right now? Um,
1: Ryan, uh, it is a, it is an authorized program. However, it was not authorized for any specific amount of money. So, not only does it have mandatory spending, the appropriators don't even have a budget to work with for the money amount of money that it was authorized to to, to have. Uh, Congress has spent a lot of money on coronavirus relief, right. as well as should have. Uh, there is our we are in unprecedented times, and I don't use that term loosely. This is unprecedented. We are in a pandemic and continue to be in a pandemic. And Congress, and once we come out of this pandemic, Republicans, Democrats, I don't care who's in the White House, who's in Congress, they need to look at how to get our spending back on track. Right. Because a lot of spending has occurred. And Congress is so spending money, a lot of money. <laughs> that that money, that money needs to come from somewhere. Right. It needs to come from somewhere. And so programs like WaterSense, you know, I like to think it'll stick around, but it has been zeroed out by the administration's budget uh, all four years. He's submitted yeah. a budget. So I'm, I, I would be naive to say that it's not on the chopping block. It isn't a chopping block. It's always been a chopping block. It can easily go to zero. Congress continues to say through report language that, yes, we would like the water sense to continue, but there's no legislative teeth to that. That's a look sure. and a an nod saying, okay, you need PA saying, okay, we will, you know, we will, we will, you know, allow that request to happen, but it doesn't always need to be the case, nor does Congress have any kind of statute statutory authority to continue to have that, that, that language in, in, in their, in the report language of the bill, which is basically the instruction manual on how to, on how to, um, you know, enforce different pieces of legislation. Sure. So, so, so I, I don't know, man, it remains to be seen. I, I, I do have some concerns about the future of water sense. We'd like to see it continued. We're continue yeah. advocating for it to be continued, but there's a, there's some concern out there.
0: It seems to have been uh, a really positive thing for the industry. And like you said, those, uh, those voluntary labels are, are helpful and instructive to consumers as well. Yeah. Um, and Keeping it
1: voluntary is also key with that Ryan too. It's a voluntary oh, yeah. program.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. The, um, on the, uh, what's the future on the farm bill? Because that's something that the IA worked on closely and those come about every five years. And so, you know, we had one pass and the chairman of the agriculture committee uh, is not returning to Congress. And so, um, you know, it's gonna be an interesting conversation. I'm sure your association will be as equally involved on the next iteration of that.
1: We will be. Um, We, uh, so the next one's up in a few years. Uh, so you think of it like it's 2023, but it's already, it's towards the end of 2020 now. So really just two more years we have right. for for this farm bill. And so that's about a year and a half until things really get ramped up. So we need to start preparing now uh-huh. for what our needs and wants for the next farm bill. Uh, a lot of things go into farm bill planning. As far as the irrigation association goes, our focus is primarily on the conservation title, title three of the farm bill. And within that the environmental quality incentives program that's where farmers can take advantage of cost share programs to increase their irrigation efficiencies for on-farm um, irrigation application right and so a lot of our our manufacturer members pivot drip you know whatever it is they actually have business out of farmers being able to have that financing available to invest in this equipment now farm bill it's a shame that a farm bill happens every five years because policy is set as a snapshot in time. Mm -hmm. If ag economy is doing pretty well, that reflects a five-year farm bill. If the farm economy is not doing well, that affects a five-year farm bill. So in a few years, we're not sure what the ag economy will be. The ag economy has suffered. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's, It's unfortunate. This, this pandemic is unfortunate on several levels, but the ag economy was actually on a rebound moving into this year. So that is a bit unfortunate. And then with the school closings, with hotels shutting down 50 more than 50% of fruits and vegetables consumed in the United States are consumed, not inside the home, restaurants, Mm -hmm. schools, hotels, resorts. That's where people get their fresh fruits and vegetables. So that's really affected that side of the market. Now, uh, A good piece of news is that the USDA is really focusing on innovation, and they have recently released their agricultural innovation agenda, which can be found on their website, uh, that goes into different steps that need to be taken on a policy level to drive innovation in U.S. agriculture. And it's really focused on technologies. And so the opportunities for technologies to be incorporated in a nursery or a greenhouse or on a fruit and vegetable farm or a row crop, whether it's corn, wheat, soybean, you know, whatever it is, there's some opportunities there to really drive innovation in agricultural and adoption for that technology for on-farm applications that are not necessarily tied to conservation or other environmental benefits. This should be okay. tied. This should be tied to profits. It should yeah. be tied to production. Yeah. And so that, that, that's the conversation we are trying to drive in the next Farm Bill of let's look up for the farmers. What's, what's good for farmers in addition to good for the environment?
0: Right. Absolutely. Right now
1: Policy is being really driven by the environment, which is great, but farmers need viability as well. And oh, yeah. So, so policy needs to be driven on the future of agriculture as a whole, ensuring it's sustainable, ensuring it is environmentally conscious. So that's really a focus that we're taking for the next Farm
0: Bill because they need to understand at the end of the day it is a business agriculture oh, is, is a business right. you know as right. much as ag producers and growers do it for the love of the job that it is it is a job it is a business at the end of the day well,
1: if uh, if farmers didn't make money doing it they wouldn't do it
0: <laughs> right exactly i mean that's
1: period and that's yeah. why they make the uh, what to, what to grow what what plants to grow what's going to sell you know uh, it's nursery industries a nursery grower is not going to grow a plant that doesn't sell
0: yeah, right. yeah, and sorry,
1: they're not going to buy a technology, whether it's in a greenhouse to enhance operations or if it's in a nursery field, that that would not provide them a return on investment. That does not make any sense.
0: Right, absolutely. Well, you you hit on a, a key point though there on conservation, and I brought up the Water Conservation Advisory Council um, already, but. One of the things that as Texas um, may or may not be potentially kind of rolling into a drought season, um, depending on what the next year and a half looks like, uh, that conservation is is always a very key word. And ag is a big user of water, there's no doubt. Um, And it is on the whole generally a very smart user, but what's the IA's message on water efficiency as, as a whole and water efficiency even in the landscape arena?
1: I'm going to step on a soapbox real quick, then I'll get off. Do it, um, man. Get up. There is, a, <laughs> there is a distinct difference between the words conservation and efficiency. Mm-hmm. They mean two different things. And more often than not, too many people interchange those two terms. People that know better yeah. interchange those two terms. Yeah, Conservation can come out of efficiency. Uh, efficiency but efficiency can also provide other things like productivity without mm-hmm. conservation so conservation is an, is a possible outcome of 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 efficiency uh, like productivity like you know other other aspects water water quality enhancements things like that so water efficiency is essential in that you're not wasting any of the water okay right. that is that is key that you all the water you used goes to Towards a beneficial use, that right. it is not wasted. Um, so that's that's key when you look at the type of technologies. And this could be on a landscape or in an agricultural production operation, either one, doesn't matter. So when we look at conservation, now we as an industry, a lot of a lot of the agriculture community shy away from that term. We don't, we're not scared of the term conservation. Conservation can be and should be an outcome of efficiency. but not all, but it doesn't have to be all the time. And that's the key. It's not an either or it can be both. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: What policymakers should not do is look at agriculture, whether it's Texas, Nebraska, California, I don't care what state you're talking about and look at the water rights that farmers have in Texas and use that as a, as a bank of water that can be drawn from and moved over somewhere else. And you achieve that through quote unquote conservation. Right you know it's it's we need to have whether it's a nursery crop or if it's a food crop they need to remain viable and they need access to water in order to do so otherwise our economy will be you know will suffer as well as our health will suffer mm-hmm. so both so as far as our focus on efficiency we look at increasing the opportunities for farmers and property owners to invest in new technologies we look at best practices to be followed we look at opportunities for farmers to manage their water in a way that they get benefit out of it through profits through productivity or even conservation but in many cases we like to see water that is saved in agriculture sit, staying in agriculture yeah that's 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 period that's, so we 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 like to see that knowing that in extreme circumstances you know people need to live people need to have access to water in order to sure. survive we understand that but but yeah that's it that's a key that's a that's an essential component to our focus moving forward in the policy realm is that promotion of efficiency specifically on the technology adoption as well as best practices um you know people following best practices
0: i love it man sounds good well let's talk real quick before we end here about elections because we are coming up towards the end of the year um and Congress, uh, we've already said that there's going to be a new Congress next year. It may look uh, drastically different. It may not. I don't, you may know, not, it's, may not. It's, yeah. it's kind yeah, of I a, don't know, man. Like, it, I, anybody's call.
1: Regardless, I it's a new Congress. That's it, right. Yeah. It, 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 Republicans could keep control of the Senate. Democrats could have the House and President can Trump stay in office. All yeah. realistic possible opportun- outcomes, right?
0: Absolutely. Still
1: a new Congress, still new quote unquote new administration. So...
0: Well, and you're you're tied in. You're you're monitoring it from a national level, um, but to bring it to Texas, what do you what are you hearing or seeing as far as Texas being in play? Um, you know, and I'm sure a lot of that has to do with where Biden is trending overall. Um, you know, what are the chances of of a blue wave in Texas? They've been talking about it for years, but but give us give us some spin. What are you hearing?
1: uh well i think anything is possible these days man i think that it's possible for trump to walk away with texas in a complete blowout and it's possible for joe biden to win texas uh the fact that we've been talking about this in texas i think says a lot
0: yeah
1: uh for the way that this election is going um and there are a lot of adamant supporters for joe biden there's a lot of adamant supporters for donald trump there's a lot of adamant people who despise each candidate Mm -hmm. and everything else in between. Uh, We live in unique times uh, from a public health perspective and from a political perspective. And I think that Donald Trump is doing what President Trump is doing what he can to shore up his base. Yeah. Uh, That's how he has run his presidency. Um, And I'm I'm viewing this as, I'm trying to be as nonpartisan as possible. Sure, of course. Um, that's how he's run his presidency. That is his rhetoric, his message that he is providing his campaign. Well, they don't have a platform, I guess what right. he's, what he's saying is all about shoring up his base. And the big question, Ryan is, has his base shifted and we could talk about, Oh, the suburban housewives, you know, is it the, the Caucasian white women who live in the suburbs? Cause they help vote president Trump in, in 2016, are they going to flip and help vote Joe Biden in, in 2020? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I think in Texas uh, the Hispanic vote is going to be pretty interesting to watch here. Moving forward, Joe Biden has had a tough time getting them to support his campaign. Um, And I know both, I know for a fact, both campaigns are going to increase their focus on that contingency specifically the hispanic vote
0: well if you listen to certain um elected officials and pundits on texas they don't consider texas a red or blue state they consider it a non-voting state and i think uh part of that has to do with the, the hispanic demographic and uh other demographics just not engaging fully to their full potential um to impact these these races and so it's kind of like this big x factor that's sitting out there nobody's quite sure what it's going to look like when it when it comes to fruition um i think the reason though we're really talking about texas potentially even being in play um and a different makeup of the texas congressional delegation has a lot to do with beto and the race against tex ted cruz two years ago but he's not on the ticket this time. And while he's out there actively working, um, it's kind of interesting to, it will be interesting to see if 2020 is um, a, a turnaround from where we were two years ago. And if that was uh, r- more related to you know, his personality and his following in that, or if it truly is a trend line that Texas is following in terms of going from red to purple uh, yeah. in its political makeup
1: uh state i mean texas is a proudly a unique state
0: Mm -hmm.
1: uh and uh so i i i'm very careful as someone who is not a texan (laughs) to make assumptions about texas however i will say that we've seen other states that are not too unlike texas flip yeah virginia north carolina i mean those states flip and uh so I, I don't think it's out of their of possibility to have Texas go back and forth. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that party affiliations that we are all used to from the eighties, nineties, and even the two thousands, they could look a lot different post 2020 uh, political parties shift their focus uh, depending on who's in charge and what the, you know, primary, things they're focusing on and that's just fine so a blue state could believe one thing and not change their beliefs but the political parties have kind of shifted their focus which then flips the state at the same Mm -hmm. time so that's within their own possibility as well so it's not necessarily hey our our whole you know viewpoint of the world has changed it's that well no i think the direction of the political parties have changed and so we're Going this direction now. With, with
0: well, direction. I want to I want to read off for the listeners some seats that are being talked about. Uh, I looked at a Austin American Statesman article that had a total, I think, of twelve seats that were potentially um, vulnerable from an incumbency perspective. But the, Texas really has one true uh, swing district and that's Texas 23 down on the border is uh, currently represented by Will Hurd and who's who's leaving that seat. And you've got Tony Gonzalez on the Republican side and Gina Ortiz Jones on the Democrat side running. Uh, be, beyond that, I mean, there are some vulnerable seats, uh, the majority of which um, have, pollsters saying that Republicans are in a vulnerable situation. You've got Chip Roy right here in Central Texas being challenged by Wendy Davis, a former governor candidate. Um, There are two seats that the Democrats currently hold, which they grabbed recently, Lizzie Fletcher and Colin Allred, who are new members of Congress, um, and the the R's uh, Republicans are making a concerted effort to try to regain those seats. Are those... Are those the the same? I guess battle lines that you're seeing across the nation as you're kind of looking at what the new makeup of Congress might be. I mean, are are those the same uh, trend lines in other swing states? Um, because we all know this is going to come down, as far as the president's concerned, to an electoral college game. But um, Congress is going to be critically important.
1: It is, yeah, yeah, no, this it's it's very similar in in the swing states. Um, You know you're seeing a lot of national news about you know the the more extreme candidates that exist out there right now you know in georgia you have a Republican candidate who is uh, you know a known conspiracy theorist that is uh that is all but assured uh re-election so the national level you're hearing a lot of that but yeah you have a lot of these 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 districts in in opportunities where they can swing one way or another and it's gonna really I mean, this is very, seems very simplistic to say it, but it's going to come out to turnout at the end of the day. And really it's going to come to how the pandemic affects the different states. It's going to come down to mail-in ballots. I know it's a hot topic, Ryan, but it's going to come down to that. And we may see a scenario where some of these congressional districts, as well as the presidential election, we can think one thing on election day and two two days later it's something completely different given yeah. the amount of ballots that are, that need to be counted. It's unprecedented times. And we need to be, I don't we need to be very aware and patient and trust the process. I cannot say that enough. Trust the process, trust the process, trust you, trust your secretary of state within each state. They are the ones in charge of certifying right. elections. They, right. they are the ones that it's not the president. It's not a man, Washington, DC. It is the state's, secretaries of state that are in charge of these processes, trust that person. And that's, that's all I can really say, but yeah, we are seeing it, It's, it's not uncommon uh, of what you're seeing in Texas across the United States.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's going to be an interesting year. Uh, I think everybody's kind of desirous to let's go ahead and, and escape here to the end of 2020 and hope for the best (laughs) in 2021.
1: 2021. (laughs) I know, I know you guys just uh, canceled your trade show. We were looking forward to being down in San Antonio as well for our trade show in December. And we have, of course had to cancel ours, but yeah, I think that we're all looking for, I just hope that we have a, peaceful election and if a change in power does exist it's a peace it's a peaceful change of power Mm -hmm. um and if if one doesn't exist i hope for the best you know it's it's i just hope that it's all peaceful sure and that's why it's one of the greatest things about america is that we do have these free and open elections that we do have trust in and um and so yeah but we're all looking forward to getting back to some sort of normalcy Um from Absolutely. an association side as well as an industry side. And when we can make it down to Texas, I've always looked forward to that. It's a shame that this, this one had to be changed.
0: So. Is that, uh, now where are you going to be in 2021 with the show? We
1: are going to be in uh, San Diego, California in all right. December of 2021. So it's not not quite San Antonio, but it's also a nice corner of the United States. Absolutely. Um, we will be back and say, I don't have the dates in front of me. We are going back, I think, 2023 or 2024. We're going to be back in San Antonio. We basically awesome. canceled this and pushed it off to uh, to a few years down the road. But, yeah, we love our partnership with TNLA. We love heading down there for our irrigation show. And we just look forward to the day we can get back on the road. And, Absolutely. Uh, and go doing what we love doing.
0: Well, we look forward to the opportunity that TNLA members can come back to D.C., participate in the various fly-ins, engage with their members of Congress up there.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, we are looking at opportunities to do something virtual next year, so stay tuned for that. And maybe it's an opportunity to get more more of, um, you know, the Texas contingency uh, involved in what we're doing uh, in terms of water and irrigation policy in Washington, DC. So stay tuned for that. We're still formulating what that plan is for next year, but we are gearing towards that being a virtual format.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much to our guest, John Farner with the Irrigation Association for joining us this afternoon. Uh, We appreciate your partnership and all the work you do on behalf of the IA. And uh, thank you again for being with us.
1: No problem, Ron. Anytime, man, really appreciate it.
0: Thank you again to today's Green Report supporter and TNLA-endorsed service provider, Hotchkiss Insurance Agency. Here at Hotchkiss Insurance Agency, we seek to protect that which is possible in everything we do. We believe that by safeguarding one's most valuable assets, people and businesses are better able to grow and prosper. We are proud to be an endorsed service provider for TNLA and look forward to the opportunity to serve your company. Visit us at HIALLC.com today.